0: Welcome to the Hotel Analyst podcast. My name is Chris Bound, the editor at Hotel Analyst, and I'm here with Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst. We're going to chew over three uh, areas we've been looking at from the news the last week or so, which may well be of interest in guiding you through the consequences of the pandemic. Now uh, it's about to be results season from all the big uh, US hotel majors, and uh, uh, Anders Nissen at Pandox and Pandox has beaten them to it. He had his results out last week. The numbers showed quite, quite a good January and February followed by a precipitous fall off in March and Anders was keen to warn us that things will only get worse into the second quarter. But uh, what was interesting to me was that here's a company that's buttressed its finances, is ready and raring to go. As he said, the company was born in a crisis, and so here we are in another one. He seems to be relishing the fight. One of the interesting things that uh, he's he said was that if there's any problems with any of the uh, hotels that are operated by third parties who are paying him rent, and they default on their rent. He's quite happy to take the hotels back and run them himself. So, uh, guess what? He's got pretty much all of his rent in. <laughs> so, Andrew, it seems like they're in a, quite a good place, Pandocs, to, uh, to cope with what's coming at them.
1: Yeah, I think they're a very good example of a paradox, which you've already mentioned on this podcast, which is that the impact of the pandemic, uh, the economic impact of it, is being most strongly. Um, felt in property sectors um, where there which is which are broadly caught under the umbrella term operational real estate and of which of course obviously we talk most often about hotels Uh, and yet and yet despite that these are going to be the areas suffering most um, real estate investors are going to be even more keen on the approach of operational real estate going forward and the reason for this is is, is, as I said because as as Pandox demonstrates you need to actually understand the opco to be able to dig yourself out of the problem created um, by an economic downturn And, and if you have haven't got exposure to the propco if you don't actually under opco if you don't understand what's going on in the opco it's going to be so much harder the days of being a passive um, investor in just the propco part of the business uh, you know just signing a triple net lease collecting a quarterly rent check and then coming back in 25 years and taking the keys back off your tenant they're long gone I mean the retail property investors found that out over the course of the last few years but so too have we are we we now seeing that in the office sector and we're going to um you know it's such a a problem in terms of the the real estate investment that you've got to understand what is going on in terms of the occupying business there the, the business that ultimately is paying the rent there are a variety of ways of doing this um right from having uh you know the, the loosest level in terms of having a turnover related rent right the way through to actually directly owning the prop co, the opco itself and this is what we see with uh pandox where they're experienced, effective operators and able to, to dig themselves out of the hole. And I think you've just m- mentioned um, Securum Holdings, which is where Anders on the CEO of Pandox, um, uh, hails from. Indeed, the business has its origins in that original portfolio. And, but that stems back to the 1990s, particularly a Scandinavian problem. Um, n- Obviously, there was the global um, recession, then property crash. Um, but it, the, the Swedish and the rest of the Scandinavian banking system was under particular stress and they formed a bad bank. And the great success of Securum was coming out of that and pretty much getting Swedish taxpayers back all the money they spent initially badding things out. So it was a good job done then. He has a good track record of digging it out. Now, this is a hole which is easily as big as that in the early 1990s. In some ways, certainly economically, it's going to be worse. Um, it's not so much a financial crisis as a broader economic crisis the, the one risk i think i would i would suggest they have is that they are very narrowly focused on just the hotel sector um, they they lack exposure across the other um operational real estate sectors now they've been talking about entering into them um, i suspect that we might see that process accelerated by this mm. let's wait and see
0: but of course the other thing is um, if you look at their portfolio at the moment what 150 odd hotels they have, they're only operating 20 at the moment. Um, but if one or two of their major tenants should falter, they, that, that split could, could change quite a bit. Are they exposed particularly, do you think, to uh, any one or two tenants?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I guess that it's always when the most recent transactions which are done nearer the top of a cycle, where there is the most stress going to be. And certainly, you know, one of the biggest transactions they've done is the jury's in portfolio. I suspect that's under huge amounts of stress. Um, there's a lease lease structure there um, that is going to need some form of restructuring at some point I, um, over the next. A few months, Um, but. As we've said, Pandox are in a good position to, to sort that one out. I mean, they know the value in hotel real estate is there if you're in for the long haul. Um, if you ride out the cycles, you'll realise the value in real, in that real estate. Um, they will want to ride this one out. They will want to hang on to as much of it as possible um, so that there's recovery in values. Uh, it's way beyond my ken to predict exactly when the that recovery in values is going to be, but given the depth of the crash that's imminent now, I, I suspect it could be several years out. I mean, you know, people are talking about par recoveries as far out as five or six years. I suspect values are easily that long before they get back.
0: Now let's talk about REITs, Real Estate Investment Trusts. Um, all around the globe, they're a particular property asset holding vehicle that uh, by and large pays out quite a substantial amount of its income in the way of dividends to shareholders. Um, There's dozens of them in the States focused on purely the hotel sector. Uh, There's barely one in the UK uh, focused on the hotel sector. And then over in Singapore, there are notably four quite large ones, um, which analysts recently noted have have dipped in value to the point where actually it may be worth the sponsoring companies buying them back Um, the the REIT is often a good route for a uh, a propco opco to split off its properties and uh, float them on the market while retaining a reasonable amount of skin in the game Um, and uh, the suggestion is at least two of those REITs in Singapore could now be bought back um, if the original sponsors have got the the cash the wherewithal to do so um meanwhile back in the uk we're seeing one or two REITs getting a little bit upset because they've got uh, hotel tenants including Travelodge, who of course are playing very hardball on paying any of last quarter's rent uh, REITs
1: are a great solution for a, a big problem with property investment and that's liquidity so they offer a solution to that liquidity um much better than open-ended funds which we've seen a whole bunch um shutter them um and prevent redemptions We, we we've seen that in, in, in at this point the last few months we saw it back in 2016 with the Brexit vote we saw it back in 2008-2009 with that with that crisis as well um, there's a clear problem there with the open-ended funds and in, and in, 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 in that that they have to keep huge amounts of cash on hand just to to enable those potential redemptions coming in and that's not a particularly efficient use of the capital REITs are a solution to that but even REITs have problems um, as we can see in terms of how much the share prices have fallen they've nearly halved in some cases um, way below um, replacement value below um, any reasonable net asset value I would suggest therefore it's very tempting to take them private but as we just talked about in relation to Pandocs, actually you know property investment you need to ride through the cycle and if you're a retail investor and you're thinking right I'm buying into this I can't afford a you know I, I don't have the means to invest in a hundred million pound hotel I can't I can't afford the the billion it needs to to buy the Ritz or whatever um, but I can you know, put twenty thousand of my pension into a, into a REIT. Well, if they're suddenly going to see that taken back at rock bottom prices by by some of the uh, very well capitalised players, which you were, we've been talking about in Singapore, that doesn't look too clever, I don't think. And I think it sends a very bad signal about what REITs are like as an investment. So I I think there is a need to actually watch this, and I think it should be more scrutiny by regulators. I. Think think we've got to have more free float in here which to my mind looks like minority shareholders are at risk of being abused by insiders by people who are are often the sponsors of the initial REIT listing um, coming back in and taking advantage of market conditions to you know because they know in three four five as we've just talked about maybe 10 years these assets are going to be worth significantly more than than we see at the moment and they're going to be certainly back up to where they were you know three four months ago Um, so they can actually make they can double triple treble their money um, if they hang on for it for that time and I think that and what's happening by the take privates is these retail um, investors are being excluded so I think we've got to be a little bit cautious with this I'd like to see slightly tighter regulation this to enable REITs to to fight off um, these take privates because I don't think that's a in in most cases that's not a good thing for for general shareholders
0: probably quite a few who are going to uh, be be crushing and burning over the next few months um, as this impact of an amazing dramatically drop-in in, in re- revenue, it has an impact on uh, on their business plans and, uh, and how they get out of it, some of them. Um, and one particular one that looks like it's going to be one of the early failures in the UK is uh, a company called Signature Living. Uh, quite an interesting outfit, they've been going for over a decade. They've picked up uh, historic buildings that no one else, frankly, wanted to touch. In a number of British city centres, um, their, their core was in Liverpool, but they extended out into Belfast and also into Cardiff. Um, a, a great character, Lawrence Kenwright, but it, with with five of their different uh, businesses n- recently placed into administration, it does look as though the um, end is near for the for the group. Beg the question: What went wrong? Uh, and one of the issues has always been funding such unusual developments in buildings that uh, no, no regular black-suited property developer would, would tend to touch with a barge pole. Um, the other, there's one other big issue to do with, uh, with Signature, which uh, I think you want to talk about, which is uh, the way it was partly funded by fractional ownership.
1: Yeah, um, there is an issue with fractional ownership in general, I think. In theory, it ought to work, but all too often, too many schemes um, come to grief. Uh, Signature living was a business model that was already in trouble prior to um, the pandemic. Um, It was probably going to come unstuck anyway. Um, This has obviously hugely accelerated that process. Uh, As with REITs, what we need is... You know uh, more regulation actually, particularly again for retail investors. We've seen many of these fractional ownership schemes for hotels, that of buy a hotel room, um, which have come to grief. And we've seen dentists and doctors; they've been left nursing losses in their self-invested personal pension schemes um, to what are frankly overly aggressive. Uh, business practices so uh, looking back there's a couple of things that, um, that 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 spring to mind obviously is guest invest uh, which came to grief in 2008 um, that was essentially a, something which was uh, only su- could succeed in a, a market that was forever rising and as we know all markets are cyclical, and when we get a downturn, the 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 scheme goes bust. There are also problems. I um, I, I believe in terms of how that particular scheme was structured. In that in that investors weren't uh, fully aware of just how much the um, the maintenance costs were going to be in the hotel. So that after holding the the fractional ownership for five or six years they were going to be hit with a massive um, bill in terms of renovation work which would wipe out all the previous gains in the scheme. Um, A couple of years earlier to the collapse of Guest Invest another thing went bang called Swallow. Now this is the brand name that came out of Whipbread but nothing to do with Whipbread nothing to do with the old brewery group Vaux but uh, a company called London and Edinburgh Inns and what they did they did a opco propco structure and they over rented the um, um, to the opco the propco bit and they that they sold prop go fractionals at overinflated prices which were never sustainable and of course uh, they went on buying 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 at again over inflated prices but eventually it was kind of like a giant ponzi scheme and the whole thing just fell apart um, again you know I really do think um, the financial regulators ought to have stepped in and stopped um, retail investors coming into this stuff um, because there are a lot of people lost a good portion of their pension as a result of this and it just gives the whole whole thing a bad smell Um, on a wider note in terms of operational real estate I I see you know I I detect a bit of this within um, Elder Living right now Um, and what you have you have a developer who has all the control and they set um frankly too high a price on the units they're selling they get greedy they they think because they're able to sell a few they think they can flog the lot at that price they're frankly overcharging for them and these units are not capable of being resold again outside of that initial sales burst by the by the developer at anything like that the price which which the developer got um so you have this big Um, drop off in value when it comes to resale when the elder residents die and their um, their family come to sell the unit uh, they see a big hit there the other thing which i think is quite shocking is the maintenance charge issue um, which can often be hundreds of pounds a month Um, you know I, i i personally have been involved with this I saw this my mother-in-law I managed to get her out of an Ordney Homes scheme Uh, we ended up losing she managed to exchange on a property um, we lost all of the money for that deposit uh, 40 grand Um, but it was such a horrific investment she was about to make that it was worth sacrificing that 40,000 we'd probably have been stuck with 200 300,000 pounds of loss had we proceeded with it Uh, ironically we got her into another scheme in Cambridge um, and this was actually part of a housing association, but we still managed to to lose um, a third of the value of the, the property, more than a third, actually nearly 40% of the value of the property um, in the course of two years. I mean, it's just genuinely shocking um, that these developers are getting away with that level of exploitation and that that this only going to give the whole um, area a bad name and you know you see people on the news saying we need more housing which is purpose built for the over 55s to develop it and you know there is a great argument for that and I think it works really well these elder living villages and and so forth Um, but They need to be done in a way which is fair to the buyers. And right now, we're seeing developers who are frankly being too greedy um, and and not doing it in an appropriate fashion. And this is going to come unstuck. It is coming unstuck in a number of cases. And, you know, there's a lot of um, ill will being developed as a result of that. It's tricky because, you know, why would somebody invest in a scheme um, which is actually offering lower returns? when there are competitors offering much higher returns by exploiting the opportunities there but if you want to create a sustainable business you're if you want to be in it for the long term uh, rein it in a little in terms of those original prices you're charging and don't make the management companies a profit center
0: have a stern word with my mother but for now we'll say goodbye